Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. Hello and welcome to Business Fights Poverty Spotlight Interviews. I am Katie Heisen, Director of Thought Leadership. Each week, these interviews provide you with the insights from a different perspective of Business Fight Poverty Network, giving you first-hand understanding of how businesses and others are working on some of the world's biggest social challenges. During this podcast, I'm talking with Vic Van Vuren. He is currently the Director of the Enterprises Department at the International Labour Organization in Geneva. Alongside this, he is also the Chairman on both the Committee for the Promotion and Advancement of Cooperatives and the Partnership for Action in the Green Economy. He is also a member of the United Nations Task Force of the Social and Solidarity Economy and a member of the Capitals Coalition Supervisory Board. This puts Vic at a vantage point to understand the deeper impacts of COVID, the global pandemic, on enterprises, big and small. And that is it precisely what he is going to provide for us during this podcast. He explores with us the impacts of the pandemic on workers and businesses across the world that aren't necessarily being reported on in the news. So Vic, welcome. Hi, nice to chat to you. Good to have you. I think my first question for you today, as the director of, well, originally of the International Labour Organization's Southern Africa Department, and now the director of the Enterprises Department of the same organisation in Geneva, what has really sort of motivated your career today? And, and what do these roles mean to you? I started my career in the private sector uh, after having studied a law degree and moved from a director in the transport sector to working in a large financial services organization. And it was during that time that I took a keen interest in the South African labor market. And so my career moved from legal to more human resources management and the management of industrial relations during a very difficult time in South Africa, going from apartheid to post-apartheid. And During that time, I got involved with the international labor movement. I used to negotiate with trade unions. I negotiated with government on behalf of the private sector. And I then ended up representing the private sector for the African region on the governing body of the International Labor Organization, which is based in Geneva. So that's where my interest started in the whole labor market arena. And this led to me eventually joining the ILO in Pretoria office in my home country, South Africa, as the director of the International Labor Organization office for Southern Africa. And that meant I looked after 23 countries for the ILO mandate. And it really is about the decent work agenda. How do you get companies and governments and the workers to work together in forming a labor market where you've got business growth, profits are important, business survival is important, and at the same time, maintaining international standards that can bring about a good life for a worker, the health and safety of a worker. And so the international standards through the ILO were what I was looking at implementing in these 23 countries. After a while, I moved on and moved to, to Geneva, where I'm currently based, and I look after one of the nine policy portfolios called Enterprises. And what we do is we work mainly with the developing economies, but we look to the support of the developed economies, where we look at governments and multinational companies 
in providing support to uh, maintaining and creating sustainable enterprises in the developing world, which cuts across Asia, Latin America, Africa, mostly Eastern Europe, and the Middle East. And this is a tall order because it's at the moment, particularly with the pandemic, it's going very difficult for any enterprise to just exist at the moment. So my portfolio covers a number of areas that support these enterprises. The one is the environmental component. One is just how to create small businesses and entrepreneurship. The other area is looking at the multinationals and how they can provide support. Then we look at the informal sector and how can we move the informal sector businesses to become more formalized and to become part of the mainstream of the economy. And then we look at the social economy, which is fast growing in the world, particularly in Europe, and the role of social enterprises and cooperatives. And the last point is one on social finance. How do we look at accessing finance for businesses, not only to start up, but to grow? So all of that combined makes up a global portfolio, which I manage across six different units. I find it very interesting. And the reason I came to the ILO is because I believe in the mandate that they're selling one of a decent work agenda. I became somewhat disillusioned in the private sector at some time when I saw many companies only striving for profit at the expense often at workers who became just a number. And I felt that there was place for both. There's a need for very productive and, and uh, profit-making companies, but at the same time, we need to look at the well-being of the worker and the communities in which they come from. So that's quite a mouthful, but that's really what has driven me to come to the place where I am at the moment, and that's what I do. Wow, that is a massive mandate, Vic. I happen to know that you've been, as you mentioned earlier, deeply looking at the impacts of COVID on, on the enterprise and across that sort of portfolio. From the research that you guys have been doing, and, and I guess the first-hand experience of what you're hearing as well, what are you seeing? What are the trends that you're sort of experiencing, and what should we expect over the coming months? I think too many people are moving down the line and saying, let's talk post-COVID and how do we talk recovery? We haven't got out of COVID. We haven't even seen the light at the end of the tunnel to get out of this. And we're seeing businesses hemorrhage. The large companies, perhaps managing the multinationals, are still surviving, but they also are having to relook at their business models. On the smaller side of business, we've just seen closure after closure after closure. And now we've got to try and reactivate these businesses. We've got to try and get to the space of recovery. But I think what people need to realize is that we're not out of the woods yet. This pandemic is increasing in many parts of Europe. We're finding in India, it's just uh, going crazy. And what we need to accept is that businesses are going to be casualties along the way. So when there's any form of lockdown, the small businesses start closing. And then you see layoffs. And so we've seen millions and millions of jobs that have been lost. And so where we have these sustainable development goals at the macro level, at the global level, and we want to eradicate poverty, what we've seen now is the exact opposite taking place, where jobs are being lost and businesses are closing. So we've got to start planning for a recovery process and building back better. And that is where our focus is going to be. So what do we see at the moment? still a loss of jobs and, and, and closure of businesses, but we're working closely with governments to try and prevent this going to an even greater extent. And at the same time, we're now trying to reactivate and find where are those niche areas where businesses can grow. I mean, the whole health sector has seen growth. The, the whole uh, um, digital uh, platform has seen 
phenomenal growth. So there's got to be areas where we can capture and grow back better, as well as in the environmental component. So that's what we're seeing at the moment. It's, it's just to see how we can help people stay in business and then to recover down the line. You talked at the beginning about your personal passion about supporting the worker. How, particularly in the current environment, how can businesses, particularly the bigger businesses, but potentially all, support those most vulnerable across their value chains? What we've got to do is we've got to recognize that in the years gone by, before we even had the pandemic, we've experienced a huge social deficit. My experience has been, and I'll reflect on a story that when I was in, in South Africa, they had a, some demonstrations at a mine, the Morikana mine disaster. Many people remember that. And many mine workers were, were killed when the police confronted them. There was a shootout and it, it, it hit the, the global platform. And I was one of those that went out to this Morikana mine to, to assess the situation and to try and help her and, and get things back to normal. And what I found is when I spoke to some of the shift bosses and I said, did you lose some workers in this process? And they said, yes. I said, who are those people? And they gave me numbers, number, worker number 674 and 832 and so on. And that made me think that in the world of work, people have become a number. Now, we've, we've focused on digitization and mechanization, and we've lost the element of the human being. And what companies can do as we move ahead now to go through this pandemic and to, to plan for the future is that we've got to look at four capitals. We've got to look at the human being, the worker, the individual. We've got to look at the communities in which people live and the societal side of things. We've got to look at the economic reality of business success. That's got to be one of the components. We're not ignoring that. And then we've got to look at the environmental component. So what we need companies to do is to look at the indicators that they look at, how they measure their success. And they should, their success should be measured against making a difference in all four areas and not only on that economic path of striving for profits. And I want to emphasize that when I talk like this, people saying, well, you're coming with a very socialistic point of view. It's not. It has got to be a bottom line and, a, and obviously return on investment for your investors and um, the shareholders and the dividends that they need to declare. But it's got to be seen in the light of the individual. And the big companies, how can they help? Well, by going down the value chain into the developing economies, they can be tolerant to try and help those businesses keep going by looking at payback periods. There's very practical examples of what one can do of extending credit levels, providing loans and financial help. And so from a pragmatic point of view, much can be done. But I think my focus has got to be on my opening remark of these four capitals, the environmental, the individual, the societies where they live, and then obviously the business plan that makes that business a success. Zooming in perhaps on that a little bit more, you've recently released a brief entitled Jumpstarting a Green Economy with more and better jobs, healthy and resilient societies. I suspect that's your four capitals in, in, in one go. Um, perhaps could you summarise the advice that that research has found and looking ahead, hopefully, to something that might be better? What the pandemic has shown us is that the, well, we can say that the environment has perhaps brought about the whole pandemic, if one really goes into an analysis of where does this come from. But what we're finding is that the only part of the, the, the debate that has 
benefited from the pandemic has been the environment because the aircraft have come to a standstill and many activities that were damaging the environment are just not uh, happening at the moment. And so we've seen on an environmental part of things a recovery. But what we've got to do is when we plan to go and, and plan ahead now, we've got to build into the mainstream of strategic thinking is the environmental component. We've got to move from fossil fuels to renewable energy. There has to be a plan how we do that. You cannot just shut down the one side and open up on the other. You've got to reskill employees. So it's got to be a strategic think. And we have in the ILO a paper called Just Transition. How do you move from the current scenario to a more environmentally friendly scenario? And the Just Transition takes governments and companies through a process of thinking of how they can plan better to move to something more acceptable. And that's what we're asking to jumpstart this process, is that in many areas, people have not even given thought to it. It's a matter of survival. And therefore, I'm going to survive. And if it means that at the expense of the environment, so be it. Cutting down forests. I mean, we can go to Madagascar and go to Brazil and see how the forests have just disappeared. Well, we've got to start thinking strategically and saying, well, how do we stop that? How do we turn this and do something different? And in any business, whether it's an informal business, whether it's a small business, they can make a difference if they just factor into it the environment and see what impact they're making on the environment. And part of the whole process is one of education and reskilling. And so we're not naive to think you can just make quick decisions and this will happen. It's going to be a process. And this, this journey is going to be long, but we have to start it at all levels. We cannot rely on these few big multinationals that have come up with a plan of how to make a positive impact on society because they can't carry the can alone. It's got to be the masses. It's got to be people and the societies at the grassroots level. And so we're looking to the multinationals and to governments to start this planning process and to take it forward. But it's each individual or small company that has to be part of this equation now. It's so important to hear. I, I think I am very aware of what you've just said, that you hear a lot of those big statements that the multinationals make are huge and grand, but how rarely you can hear anything else from, from other levels. And, and picking up on that a little bit, I'm aware that you potentially have your ear or presence in, in places that perhaps the multinational news doesn't pick up on. And I was wondering whether you might be able to share with us a little bit about what people should know about both COVID, the recovery and business and, and the workers that perhaps isn't being picked up in the news. I think one of the most important components that people don't realize is that process is as equally important as content. And that's where we find that in countries that have got a good social pact, things go much better. And that's what people are missing out in this, the thinking and the, way, and the way ahead and how do we move through these difficult times is you'll find in those countries where they've got organized workers and organized business and the government talking at a national level they come up with a plan. They look at how they can work with each other and help each other. It may be that you have a business that can still exist, but you've got to build in certain safety mechanisms, and they then come to an agreement. But in many instances, they don't bring in the comp this component of, of a social pact at the macro level, and therefore, each one tends to look after themselves. And when you've got this disunified arena, it, it doesn't help at all, and the progress is slow and the damage is big. And so we look to those countries that have been very successful with these social pacts, and those are the ones that are, are ahead of the game. 
we look at the Scandinavian countries, we look at Germany, countries I'd like to use as an example, we found that even during the financial crisis, they came through the crisis ahead of the game and started reactivating their economic activity far better than anyone else. And we're finding it's no different now when you come through this pandemic. Those countries that have got these processes in place make a huge difference. And so what we're trying to advocate now is people need to start looking at these processes more effectively. We cannot just keep going into a lockdown because economic activity kicks in and then people start suffering. In Africa, where I come from, what we found is before COVID even hit there, they started suffering from an economic shutdown because of the fact that they were on the bottom end of the value chain. And they had to start looking at business resilience and how to find ways of existing. And I think that what is missing out there is two components, the process and building in business resilience around a, a, social, a social pact at the, at the national level. Because businesses are not going to keep going into lockdown. We look at the UK, we look at Spain, we look at France, even Switzerland where I am now, where the, the second wave of COVID is coming through. We can't go back to plan one, which says lockdown. We need to start looking at what countries are doing to keep businesses going whilst managing the COVID infections at the same time. And that's what I think people are are going to have to pay attention to. So interesting. And I'll um, do my best to find some links for those who are listening to this podcast and pop them in the words that sit alongside the audio. I think my last question for you today is that Although this podcast is called Business Fights Poverty, and we have people from across the network from other sectors, how can they all be part of rebuilding better from this shock? And, or just moving forward, as you say, we're not necessarily at a stage where we can rebuild yet. yet. Yeah, I, I don't think people realise the, the mental impact, never mind the loss of jobs, the mental anguish that students are having out there, that scholars are having. People going to work. I mean, I just saw coming back to our office when we started coming back, the anxiousness that people are coming back to the office. And so when this rebuilding comes back, the governments are going to play a key role. Governments are the cornerstone of how we can build back better, how we can deal with the current crisis. And many governments don't have their strategies in place. If you're working in a government department or in any sphere of government, there's such an important role to play in making sure that systems function, that rules are adhered to, that there are rules in place. Many governments don't have a regulatory framework that allows for businesses who are suffering to get financial relief. Social enterprises, the informal sector, just are not benefiting from these government packages that are put out there. Governments have to become innovative and more flexible in the way they encompass and and help Uh, businesses survive and how they help communities and not to be so rigid in the application of it because you leave out large segments of society who are suffering even more and more. On the side of workers, workers need to understand that there's going to have to be a give and take. They cannot just call continually on businesses to provide the help that they require because businesses are battling to survive and they need to be conscious of that and they need to be proactive in coming up with ideas as to how a business can go through these difficult times. And yes, the businesses are the third component and the the enterprises. They need to make sure that they're in touch with their workers and with government and that they are part of the the debate and, and not just keep accusing governments of you're not coming to the party in the way that we need. So they're going to have to come up with innovative ways of how we can keep businesses going, how we can reactivate and get businesses on a recovery path. And that's where the worker, 
the social enterprises, the cooperatives, governments, and the societies play an important role. Now, many people in society say, well, we've got no role to play. They can also become part of the debate. Getting societies to start getting more involved in social uh, enterprises and uh, entrepreneurship to start providing an income for those who have lost jobs. So it's, it's, a, it's a very wholesome approach that one needs. And it's not just one constituency that carries the can. Well, um, that brings us to the end of this short podcast. I feel like we could continue hearing from you for a long time, Vic, because uh, you have so much wisdom and insight. But Vic van Vuren, thank you very much for sharing your insight and pragmatic advice with us today. Thank you very much. And if you like what you've heard today, please do rate and subscribe to us. I would also love to hear your feedback. So please do drop me a line at any time. I'm Katie at businessfightspoverty.org. Many thanks. Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty.